Great. Good morning, everybody. Please don't believe everything he said. <laughs> He's really teeing us up there. <clears throat> but it is, it is really great to be with you. Uh, it's always uh, wonderful to have um, a renter crowd and Craig and Edwina <laughs> who are with us. Uh, we believe strongly in, in, in heckling and positive feedback, so that's why we, we rolled them in. <laughs> um, it is uh, really great. Thank you for your welcome, uh, Phil. Thank you for having us this morning. Uh, you are a man of great faith. Um, <clears throat> faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you haven't yet seen. Uh, and so Phil is extending huge faith <laughs> right now. <clears throat> so well done, Phil. Um, we've been asked to speak today um, about parenting the younger years. And, uh, but before we do so, perhaps a little brief bio sketch from us who we are. Uh, Amber was born in, in Zimbabwe, or well, actually Rhodesia at the time. She moved to... Ooh, a couple of roadies here. Okay. <laughs> uh, she moved to South Africa at the age of about seven and then moved over to the UK in 1998. I am born and raised in uh, South Africa and I moved to the UK in 2000. We met here at church of all places and got married in 2002. We moved into ministry, full-time ministry in 2003. Um, and do you want to say something about that, love? Yes. Um, and we had our first child in 2005, and 18 months later we had our second. So um, it was a very extremely intense and busy time where God was just moving quite quickly and really accelerating what he was doing in our lives. And on the one hand, it was incredibly exciting to just, you know, wait for the promises of God and suddenly they all start coming at once. But on the other hand, actually quite overwhelming. Um, and I just found that in those early years, it was very intense and extremely demanding. And as newlyweds with two babies, essentially, um, I was a new wife, a new mother, trying to find my feet in ministry. We, we sort of didn't really know what we had put our hands up for. I'm sure most people in ministry would say that. And sort of found myself reeling with these two babies, just trying to keep up with life. And I found I was, most of the time, I was incredibly exhausted and rather overwhelmed. And particularly with a lot of evening demands being in ministry, I found I would get most evenings just totally spent and really sort of relying on the grace of God um, to get us through. Um, at the time also, um, my, uh, I lost my sister-in-law and she had also just had a baby. And so my brother um, moved back to South Africa with my, my little baby nephew. And so we found ourselves here without family and really sort of, sort of missing that, really thinking, gosh, we could have done with some family, particularly on a practical level and a support level. So, so we were also grieving at the time as well, um, also for her loss. So just painting a, a brief picture, because Phil has asked us to talk about the early years, and our children are old now, but, you know, we really, we get it. So I think that's what we're trying to say. Yeah. You can hang on to that. Do you want to take a seat? Um, we have two lovely kids, Erin and Ethan. Ethan is 10. Erin uh, is 8. We, 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 we love being parents. Uh, kids are amazing. They have this incredible ability to bring out the absolute best in you and the worst in you, sometimes in the space of minutes. They are, they are gifted, and our kids are no exception. They are gifted. In fact, when we got out the car, Erin said to us, or reminded us, she had said it before, she said, we should speak today on how you are as parents, <coughs> because we know you're parenting better than anybody. And we said, that's right, my darling, off you go to children's ministry, off you go, off you go. Do not come out until the car has started. <laughs> but children are amazing. Um, 
there have been plenty of things that as we look back over the years, albeit only 10 years, we could say, oh, we could have done that a little bit differently. But one of the wonderful lessons we've learned is that kids are incre- children are incredibly forgiving. Uh, somebody gave us some advice from uh, day one. They said, you can get a lot wrong as a parent, uh, but just make sure your children know that they know that they know that they are loved mm-hmm. and saturated in love and, and, and some other things do fall into place. And that's good. And we, we do, what we're going to say today, um, we, we've, uh, Amber and I have been speaking about this for months actually. And so uh, Phil's invitation came and we thought, ooh, maybe this is it. So I, I have to confess, you are the guinea pigs. This has never kind of come out in any public forum other than our dining room table. So, um, so we'll be doing a runner at about 12. Uh, God bless you. Um, but... Um, <laughs> But uh, some of the things we're going to say today, uh, I think, may, may challenge a little bit. They may provoke even. Uh, I'm, I'm acutely aware, and maybe this is the first uh, grenade, sorry. I'm acutely aware that parenting, and, uh, sorry, the children in our, in our culture, it has, it's almost reached an idolatrous status. Uh, one can't say anything about children or parenting without hearing the collective inhale. <laughs> And the first clench. <clears throat> and so I've got a great wall here. Um, but no, we don't intend to be, any, uh, be uh, uh, unhelpful today at all. So hopefully what we say is, is, is more, more helpful than not. Um, a friend of ours who has been quite influential in the life of our church has often been asked over the years, when are you going to write a book in, uh, on parenting you know, with your wife? And he, his reply is that even though he has a great track record of being a parent and is now indeed a grandparent of, of little ones, he says, I'm only going to write a book perhaps one day when the grandkids are grown up because it's only then that you know that your parenting actually works when you watch what your children put in their children. Yeah. Uh, and so with that as a backdrop, uh, uh, we humbly submit to you our very short stint as parents. We, um, we are certainly, certainly no experts uh, we are by no means perfect. We, like many of you here, are on a parenting journey and very much learning as we go, simply by the grace and the goodness of God. Mm-hmm. So please hear that. Uh, I also want to make a little request, uh, if I may, that please don't clock out uh, or dismiss what we say in light of the fact that we may have a funny accent uh, or we have a different cultural background or, uh, or we only have, you know, two kids and not three, four, or five kids, or that, yes, wait until the children become teenagers, then talk to, just try and, try and receive what you can receive. We can only bring what we bring uh, based on who we are and what we've uh, grown in, and, uh, and so, so we submit that to you today. We, we've entitled this message, Courageous Parenting, and the, the reason is um, that we feel in, in more ways than one, uh, parents today need an extra dose of courage uh, to parent their children. In our world today. Now, the key word of your series, I believe, that you're doing is, is legacy. Is that correct? Everybody wants to leave something behind of significance, don't we all? We want to leave something that, that matters behind. Well, well, actually, almost everyone. I read that Bill Gates said, uh, legacy is stupid. I don't want a legacy. I'm not quite sure what he meant by that because he is leaving a legacy. So anyway, um, thankfully, um, the, 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 the sage of wisdom, Katy Perry, got it right. Um, in speaking of her career and her personal sacrifices, she says this, this is a really important time in my life. I, I can't just be the girl who's saying, I kissed a girl. You're right. I have to leave a legacy. She is right, and I'm glad she's self-aware. <laughs> it was Benjamin Franklin who said, if you 
would not be forgotten as soon as you are dead. Either write something worth reading or do something worth writing. And in raising children, we all have a profound uh, and precious opportunity to do something worth writing, but not in ink, writing on the hearts of children and into their lives. And so it's a wonderful thing. We've chosen as our key text for this morning um, a very well-worn text in the Bible. In fact, you probably will hear it more than once in, this, in the course of this series and certainly in the, the course of church life. Um, I would say that when we turn to scriptures that are often quoted and used, uh, let's not fall into the trap that C.S. Lewis speaks about the, the horror of the same old thing. Uh, in, our, in, our, in our quest for the new and the novel, we can sometimes miss the ancient paths that really are still good to walk down. Uh, and so we're going to turn to Proverbs, please. Proverbs chapter 22 and, and uh, verse 6. Many of you know it by heart. It says this, Train up a child in the way that he should go, when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, that, uh, that statement is complemented in the book of Ephesians, um, where it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, comma, but bring them up in the discipline, read in brackets, training, and instruction of the Lord. Now, our message this morning is going to have three parts, if you are able to stick with us. Firstly, our authority to parent. Secondly, uh, the goals or the aim of parenting. And thirdly, and very importantly, the grace to parent. So firstly, the first part of that proverb says, train up a child. The first thing, to, I guess, to take note of is that with, with both Proverbs and Ephesians is that this is not a suggestion uh, or, or, or a neat good idea. It's a command. Train up a child. The second thing to note is that it's a command with very definite purpose. We are parenting our children always with purpose and intent because let's be clear on, on, on something here, friends. Our children are always being instructed, they are always being trained, they are always being um, invested in, and it's either by us or something or someone else. So we as parents have to be intentionally the ones actually parenting, training, and equipping our children, always. It's, it's happening, whether we like it or not, and if we're not doing it, someone else is doing it. We're always parenting, and we always parent with purpose, we always parent with purpose. You see, if, if, if we settle that, that we're always parenting, and we're always parenting with purpose, then, then a couple things emerge from that. Then there is, no, there is no point at which you are not a parent. Sadly, even after midnight, it just, you are. <laughs> There's no point at which you're not actually a parent, although sometimes we do want to close the door, put yourself to sleep, um, I'm no longer dad. We have that temptation, don't we? Secondly, we are not victims. We really are not victims as parents. How much uh, passes in the life of families with the shrug of the shoulders of a parent resigned to say, that's just the way kids are. So it's going to happen. I want to challenge that sentiment and that thinking. Coming from a dad who has been tired, who's been in tears, with a wife who's been tired, been in tears, stretched in every which way you can imagine, it is still not okay to say, that's just the way kids are, let it all slide. Friends, that is not parenting. We have to parent with purpose and parent with intent. It's just not Good. I, I knew uh, in case anyone silently thinks, ha, 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 you are uh, in full-time ministry. You only work on Sundays, of course. Ha, ha, ha. You have two children and they've grown up now. What we have, in case anyone is tempted, I, I knew a family of five children. They lived in Winchester. He was a GP, 
uh, and he planted a church. Um, they had a busy family life, and they had a little motto which they taught us, you get what you tolerate. <laughs> it's come, it sounds difficult, but we get what we are willing to tolerate. And, uh, and so parenting has to have purpose, and we are always on, if you like, as parents. Thirdly, that command, train up a child, is a command that comes with authority. If you are a follower of Jesus here today, uh, and of course a parent or a parent-to-be or someone who's hoping to have uh, children, uh, you hold that the Bible is the Word of God. Am I right? Good. That's good to hear, Phil. Great. Um, uh, <laughs> if this is the case, then what is contained herein is authoritative for our lives. Is that right? You can feedback. That's cool. It's okay. We're in church. We can talk. If Scripture is indeed God-breathed, as Paul explained to a close friend and associate, Timothy, that it is actually indeed God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for correction, for training in righteousness, then it comes to us with authority. So as we carry out an instruction like train up a child in the way he should go, we are doing so with a delegated authority. We are doing so with a delegated authority. Parents, mums and dads, we are addressing kind of the younger years, but can I just throw it wider? Mums and dads, you have authority to parent your children. You are a legitimate God-given authority in your children's life. Maybe someone needs to hear that. Maybe someone just needs to be reminded of that. I do hope so, because in our culture today, many a parent has, has begun to waver significantly in this, and the results are already quite damaging, I think. In society, one sees and hears parents who, who constantly, maybe some of you can relate to this, constantly feel on the back foot as to whether they can act or not act in their children's life, whether they have a right to act or not act in their children's life constantly wondering, uh, feeling very unsure of ourselves. Does anybody relate to that sentiment or indeed have seen it around? There's a sense of a parenting moment needs to happen, but oh, I don't know if I can. Do I have authority? But, but are you with me? It can become a very dangerous place to parent. Uh, one of my favorite authors is a guy called Ravi Zacharias. Uh, he's a great author and speaker. Some of you may have heard him or appreciated his work. He, he relates a story of... of um, of traveling, on a, uh, traveling through a major campus of a major American university, uh, and he was on the way to a lecture. He was dri being driven there by his host, uh, and he went past a building, and uh, the host said to him, this is America's first postmodern building. And, uh, and so he said, wow, that's amazing. He said, well, what, what does that mean? What do you mean? And so his host said to him, well, the architect said that he designed this building with no design in mind, and when he was asked why he had no design in mind, he said, well, if life itself is a bit capricious, why should our architecture, why should our buildings have any design and meaning? And so he has pillars that go nowhere and stairways that go nowhere, and it's one big hodgepodge and a mess. And so he, so he said, uh, um, so I said, so, so Ravi relates, he says, so his argument was that if, if life has no purpose and design, why should buildings have any design or purpose? Ravi says to him, did he do the same with the foundations? <laughs> you see, <laughs> and he goes on, you can fool around with the infrastructure as much as you like, uh, but you dare not fool around with the foundation because it'll call our bluff in a hurry. Wow. In the same way, I would say that it is a dangerous thing to experiment with parenting and to abandon wisdom that has been passed down through the ages 
in favor of going it alone or making our own path or dreaming up our own story. Now, some people, quite rightly so, do not want to pass on the parenting they receive to their children, and that is understandable and sometimes for good reason. However, let's be very careful as mums and dads that we don't allow that pendulum to swing so far the other side that we end up living in the equal but opposite error. It's very important we don't swing so far away. How are you doing? Doing all right? All right. I think I'm going to, um, let's see if I can get Amber up here. Yay. All right. In a moment, my darling, in a moment. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So parents, I'll say it again. Um, We've got to redeem the word authority. Authority means the right to act. You, mums and dads, have the right to act in your children's lives. Yes, that, 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 that changes and the nature of it changes as the years go by. But fundamentally, you have the right to act in their lives. Please, please remember that because there is plenty of pressure against you doing that. All right. Secondly, we're going to talk briefly about the goal of parenting. Uh, the proverb we read says, "In the way, train up a child in the way he should go. So what is the goal or the aim of your parenting? What, is the, what are the things that you do? Now, now we all have goals and aims. We, we all do. I, I, I do remember when uh, Amber was pregnant with Ethan, we went to a parenting course because all good parents go to a parenting course before the baby comes because that's the best theory you'll ever get. Uh, it's in practice. That's where the rubber hits the road. So we went to the parenting course and the couple leading it, uh, they said, you know, what's the vision for your family? And of course, I just found that so intimidating and overwhelming because I had no idea what the vision for my family was. I, had, I hadn't a clue. But actually, I think you do. It's just not always articulated. We all have kind of goals and aims with our, our kids. We don't always articulate them necessarily. I hope this morning, uh, we, what we want to do this morning is we, we're not here to give you a whole set of to-dos or a whole set of things. We're coming from one perspective. What we are hoping to do this morning is that you go home and you ask yourself some really good questions. If you're a parent-to-be, if you have young children already, or if indeed someone in your sphere of influence has young children, we want you to go away and ask some good questions of yourself. Um, that would be our goal, not giving you some kind of model answer. So, so we, we often have subconscious goals where we don't even articulate them, but they're there and they come out all the time. In our, in our parenting, in a moment, Amber's going to run through a few primary goals, both good and bad, and, uh, and then show you how each of these, the, the kind of trajectory of each of these as they play out across the spectrum of your, of your parenting. Uh, often, they are, they are, as I said, they are unstated, um, but they are the strongest magnetic force of, of how you are as a parent. They always kind of pull you in a particular direction. Let me say that for mums and dads, it is crucially important that you are on the same page, or at least you've got to get onto the same page, because often you're not on the same page. When we're not on the same page, we create terrible confusion in our homes, because we're pulling in different directions. Equally, we create great insecurity with our children. Well, mum kind of wants that, dad kind of wants that. They're having it out. We're standing there. We're not quite sure where to stand. And then we wonder why the children play up and there's, there's behavior stuff. They're not sure where they stand. So I would say one of the biggest jobs moms and dads have to do is get on the same page. If you are a single parent, then I would say get with your support network, close friends, family, people who are supporting you, and, uh, 
and, and, and ask the question with them and then make sure that they share the same values as you and can support you in that regard. But please be on the same page. All right, Amber, do you want to come up, Louie? So as Nick said, what we thought we'll do, I mean, there's so many possible goals or aims that parents can have. So there's no, this is by no means exhausted. We've just picked up a few that have, you know, been highlighted to us over the years. And so we just thought, well, let's have a look at them and let's look through the trajectory of those. So the first goal, possible goal for parents, and, and as I said, many of these goals actually aren't wrong in themselves. We're talking about whether they're the primary goal, the primary aim, and what that looks like. So let's look at high achievement. So if if your um, uh, the example um, of the primary aim is high achievement, then what happens is uh, when this becomes the primary motivator, which is to win at all costs. So if you want that for your children, you want them to just win at all costs, be the best at whatever they do. So that could be in academics, sports, music, other talents, to be the best hockey player, to get into this into a certain independent or grammar school, or to be the best musician, whatever it is. You just want them to be the best and to achieve the, the highest. This in itself is not a bad aim or goal. Please um, hear me. Our children have many talents, gifts, abilities, and it's part of our role to help them discover and to foster these. Um, can we see, uh, oh, sorry, we can all see something special in our children, and it's natural to want to see them achieve and do well. Um, as the goal is not bad in itself, the question is uh, what priority we give this aim or this goal. There can be a very high price to pay for this, if this is the, the primary motivator. A lot of things may need to be sacrificed, like family time, church, socializing, rest, holidays. If your child does not share the aim, then it can also cause huge relational strain between parent and child. What happens if they don't pass the test for that particular school? Um, if it is your primary aim, then there can be a lot of disappointment and failure. For, you, for them to work through and possibly yourself. You also have to ask if you are perhaps putting your dreams or something you didn't achieve on them. So these are just good questions to ask. So the question is, when we parent our children with this priority, what are we teaching them? What are we training them up for? The answer being we must be careful that we are not teaching them that their highest value is found in their achievement it's not in what they do, um, but it's in who they are. That is where the value that we need to place. And sometimes we don't even know the state of our heart or we don't even know what motivates us. So today, if anything, just um, we're getting you to ask some good questions and to talk to each other, pray before God. Another possible uh, primary aim could be just keep the children happy. We just want a happy life. Happy wife, happy kids, happy life, okay? So when our children are happy, it makes such a difference in our homes. Happy, smiley, peaceful children. What parent would not want that? But what happens when our primary motivator in parenting is to keep the children happy, keep the peace, survive each stage of parenting, get through it alive? Combine this with teaching children their rights and giving them loads and loads of choices, 
It means that every time your children are not happy, every time they tantrum or cry or shout or fight or whine or beg or moan or protest, then you do whatever it is to make them happy and to make them stop. You buy them whatever they want. You give them whatever they want. You change everybody else's plans to work around them. You don't insist on whatever, on whatever it is you ask them to do or ask them not to do. You just take the easy option, the peaceful option, the path of least resistance. Don't we all give in at times? So I have can put my hand up <laughs> that there have been times, of course, where you just go, I can't bear this any longer. So I'm talking about the pattern of parenting here. And if that is secretly the motivator, I just want peace and happy, then you need, we need to ask ourselves if that is a good one. At first, when the child is very young, a tiny toddler, then one expects them to tantrum and to protest when they don't get their way. One of the things we've seen a fair amount of is when parents find the children cute during these outbursts of rage and defiance. And I have to say, I've seen this quite a lot. Um, no starts in the high chair, not at the age of 10. It starts early, early in their lives. Teach them what no means and have consequences. The best advice that we received was to deal with a two-year-old problem at two and a three-year-old problem at three, etc., etc. Otherwise, you're going to be dealing with a child at, at 12 who still has got the two, three, and four-year-old problem. And it's not cute anymore when the 10-year-old is having a tantrum. Um, so... I'm just going to quote a little bit from an article that um, <clears throat> that I read. Um, I'm just going to get it out. It came from sorry. It came from an article from the Daily Telegraph. It is written by an American, but it certainly makes enormous sense in our society as well. And it's called um, "Modern Parenting Is Not Working." Um, so, a couple of examples. Josh is 19. He finished school. Um, uh, Sorry, yes, Josh is 19. He finished school 14 months ago and has been enjoying a gap year. But his gap year, rapidly becoming two, hasn't been spent in Asia or Africa or even flipping burgers in McDonald's. No, Josh has spent his year in his room playing Xbox round the clock, emerging only at dinner time to eat whatever his mother Karen has cooked for him. So at last, so last week, Karen went out of for the day, taking the Xbox with her. All afternoon, she ignored the increasing furious texts and phone messages from Josh. When she returned home, he was livid. She held her ground. You are not getting it back until you find a job, she told him. And that's when her son exploded. And then all sorts of profanities as he tried, as he told his mum what he thought of her and came forward very aggressively. Um, another example, the toddler was running up and down the escalator, blocking a long queue of follow fellow shoppers come hold my hand called the little mother's uh, little girl's mother at which the child laughed and dashed ahead did the mum scoop up the child did she tell her that we don't play on escalators or that we need to consider others no she laughed then looked at the rest of us to join in mutual celebration of her child's cuteness I've always been a champion of parents. Support them, listen to them, don't blame them. We're all doing the best we can, but modern parenting is not working. Our kids are stressed, entitled, fat, over-medicated, fragile, and lacking resilience. 
And they've got that way because parents have assigned the, their power over to their little princes and princesses. This is not a Christian article, by the way. It's just a secular one. She's just making observance of parenting around her. Um, and so I think we get the example of Josh at 19. He's clearly displaying behavior that a two- and a three-year-old um, display. If any of you have two, two-year-olds, one-year-olds, that's precisely what they do. And Karen, there she is standing her ground, but the point is it's too late to stand your ground at 19. So let's deal with the one-year-old and the two-year-old problem while we still can have that authority. Another um, a motivator could be, or an aim could be, to protect the children Oh, sorry. <clears throat> Number three is to be their friend. That can be a primary motivator. I want to, I want my child to really like me, and I want to be popular with my child, and I want to be their friend. Whilst this goal may sound good, let us remember that our children will have many friends, but only one set of parents. A parent and a friend have very different roles in our child's life. Parents have the tough job of training and discipling. They will often have to make the tough decisions that won't always be popular. Wanting our children to always like us is not a good goal. Desiring our children to one day thank us is probably a better goal. And the thank you may not come, um, you know, straight away. <laughs> it may come quite a bit later in life. Um, if our primary aim is for children to like us and is often subconscious, Conscious. How does that set the trajectory? Um, then, when the child, often when the child is having a meltdown, that's when you want to give in. You keep wanting to give in when you suddenly face it and it's really, really tough, and you're thinking, "But I want them to like me. I want to be popular. I want to be my friend." But let's just remember that um, you know this is when parenting requires a huge amount of courage and that's why we've called this courageous parenting they're those times we're just going to have to call on the grace of god to stay courageous because that's the most loving thing you can do for them uh, a fourth possible uh, primary aim could be to protect them from the world um what happens when our primary aim is to protect the children from the world from its bad influence of course, it is very important for us as parents to do this. Christian parents feel particularly strongly about this as they carry a set of values that is often very, very different to that of the world. There is so much out there that is harmful and ungodly, and it's our role to protect our children. However, what happens when this is our primary aim uh, and our primary motivator to just always protect them at all costs? A good question to ask is, what does this look like in years to come? What's the, the, the trajectory of that? Our children live in this world, and at some point they will need to face living in it, hopefully, hopefully without being absorbed by its values and priorities. Be always, by, by always protecting them from it, particularly as they get older, are we preparing them to live in it to ma and make good choices, or are we actually leaving them more vulnerable so that they eventually, when they, so when they eventually do have to face it, they are ill-prepared and overwhelmed? Obviously, in the younger years, it is vital to guard and protect them. So one of the things we, we, um, we would do, for instance, um, thank you, one of the things we would do, for instance, is, is television. So just a simple thing, when they were very young, we wouldn't 
we, whenever there was adverts, they would have to turn the sound off or turn it off. Um, and because we understood that the power of adverts and what their intention was, and they were far too young to have any filter to understand that, you know, what the adverts are actually trying to manipulate them into it. And now as they get older, instead we'll sometimes we'll let them watch the advert and then we'll talk them through it. And then what do you think this advert's trying to do? And 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 how is that trying to make you feel? And and now there's that we are engaging them in trying to understand what's going on as opposed to just telling them. Um, so communication and discernment is, is, is very, very key in, in this regard, very, very key, constantly communicating them, teaching them to discern. There should be no topic that is taboo. They can ask you about anything, and, we've, and we're very clear with our children. No matter what they come home with, no matter how strange the question or how inappropriate, they can always speak and ask us about it. Um, so, for instance, for me, one of the big things was the topics of topic of sex. You know, my children are eight and ten, and you know, I had visions of only telling them in their teen years, and and then suddenly, you know, my daughter was asking me questions. She was very young, seven, I think, six or seven, and I I was so ill prepared. I just started giggling and getting all <laughs> blushing and walked out of the room, and she just looked at me, and I was like, oh my gosh, what an absolute fail, and I just wasn't ready for it, and then quickly went and asked all parents who are old, and they said, absolutely not, do not avoid the subject. If she's asking you questions, make it so matter-of-fact and talk to her openly, so so I, I ended up doing that, ran into the room afterwards, burst into tears, thought I had destroyed her innocence forever, but she's absolutely fine, and it is now a totally natural topic in the house, and I feel very relieved that they can talk about it. Um, so uh, very important to keep that open. Um, I'll probably move on just because of time, but the fifth um, possible motivator could be for the children to become good little Christians. Now, of course, you know, we all want good little Christians, don't we? But um, what happens when the primary aim is for the child to become a good little Christian um, I think it's good news for parents, um, probably quite daunting, is it's not really our job to make them good little Christians. That's God's job. And that, um, as horrendous as that may seem, when we consider our children, they are actually all little sinners, really, like us. And that, you know, as difficult as, as that is to kind of, you know, when you're holding that perfectly innocent baby, it's very hard to get that. But you know, show me a parent who's really had to show their children how to be disobedient. It's it's normally the other way around. We're training them to be obedient. And so really it's 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 God's job, like he did with each and every one of us, to reach out and that moment of grace when they meet their saviour and they enter that relationship. And for many of our children, it'll be in stages because they're in Christian homes. But, you know, let's be relieved of that. It's It shouldn't be our primary... Um, a primary motivator. Um, uh, it, can all, it can be all too easy to focus on Christian behavior and saying the salvation prayer, and that can be your sort of primary motivator in life. Sometimes underneath this, there can be fear, and fear-motivating parenting is never a good and fruitful thing. It's not a healthy motivator. Fear drives you like a slave driver. We can't force a response to Jesus and the gospel from our children because it's a matter of the heart and it's a faith choice. What we can force is a behavioral response for a while. But is that good goal for us to have? As they get older, they'll either become robots just doing what it is to please us or they'll become rebels. But 
and we'll never reach their hearts. So let's just keep that sort of one, maybe not up there as the main one. Um, okay, and just ending up here, the sixth one, and as I said, there, sh- there could be many more, is probably where somewhere where we, had, we would land. Um, and again, we're just getting you to ask the right questions. But the goal could be a goal of connected relationships um, with each other in the house. So mother and father connected relationships, children and parent, but ultimately with God himself. A connected relationship with God. Please don't confuse this with trying to make children little Christians as salvation is God's job. However, it is our role to expose our children to an authentic gospel story, grow up being being exposed to the real Jesus as they see him in our lives as parents. Connect them with that. Invite them to participate in that. Show them that life lo- what life looks like with parents in constant relationship with God. Focus on the relationship and um, invite them to explore what it means to have their own relationship with God. Good and bad times when God heals, when he doesn't. When he provides miraculously, when he doesn't. When relationships are strained, when relationships are happy. When work is good, um, school is good or when work, school is tough when they're being bullied, when they're happy, when they're lonely. Um, Show them a lifestyle of prayer, a lifestyle of worship, a lifestyle of loving the word of God. Let them see you tuck into the word of God when nobody else is looking. Let them see you worshiping in the kitchen as you're washing the dishes, you know. Um, And prepare them to live in the world by being close to Jesus. Thank you. Thanks, babe. Um, super, guys. A couple minutes uh, left. Just the, the third thing. So we spoke about authority to parent, um, the goals or the aims of parenting. Please go away and ask yourself good questions. That's really the main point we're trying to make. And thirdly, grace to parent. The, the proverb says, when he is old, he'll not depart from it. How many parent, particularly Christ-following parent, uh, has that in the back of their minds during a bad parenting moment, day, week, or month? Okay, just... When he's old, he's not going to depart from it. Uh, We do. However, if you are looking for a watertight, guaranteed uh, success formula to making sure your kids spit out the other side of the machine well, there are no formulas to it. I really want to remind you of that and encourage you. One child plus Proverbs 22.6 does not equal God-fearing, Jesus-loving Christian child. (laughs) Sorry to burst any bubbles if that were the case. Because many would testify that they've done everything right. And it isn't working out as we had hoped yet. That's a heartbreaking and very real story for many, many parents. And so we, so we cannot apply formulas. You see, formulas negate the need for relationship. And as mums and dads, our primary relationship call is relationship with God. When we are walking with Him, when we are in fellowship with Him, when we are coming to Him to ask for daily wisdom, daily grace, that's how we go about our parenting journey, not trying to apply a set of formulas. And as well, when we use the Proverbs, the Proverbs are not necessarily promises or prophecies. It is, it is general, it's, it's general wisdom that if you, it's kind of like this is the art of living. Because the Proverbs also say that a wicked person is going to sort of die young and, and, and a righteous person is going to live long. We know that's not always the case. We all have evidence all around us that that's not always the case. So try not to use Proverbs as a kind of formula. 
well, we did it like this. And, and, but what I can say, what we can say, what we can encourage you with is that our God is faithful. He is faithful. And one of the biggest weapons we have as parents, and sometimes it's a tool, sometimes it's a weapon, depending on the season, is prayer. <laughs> sometimes it's like a fight, and other times it's just a tool in the prayer closet, as it were. But we have prayer. And our God is faithful. If you haven't experienced His faithfulness, I want to remind you that faithfulness you don't always see in the snapshot. But faithfulness you see in the film reel of your life, in the life of your children. It's a film reel, not a snapshot. If we are lured into thinking that because on any given moment or season we didn't identify or see the faithfulness of God, therefore He isn't, that would be a mistake. Rather look back over the whole story and by faith look ahead into what's still to come and say, God, I know you're faithful even though I'm not seeing the evidence right now and I've done everything I can and I'm putting everything I can into this child or these children. It's just not working out so well at the moment. God is faithful. Walk with him. Keep in relationship with him. Jesus' brother James wrote, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now that's a promise. Ask and it'll be given. We've just got to ask him in the context of our relationships. If we're looking for promises and guarantees, well, there is one. Or a few, but here's one. (laughs) The Apostle Paul transcribes an encounter he has with God in prayer during a time of great need and distress. And it has come down to us in the scripture in the letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And it says, famously, it says this, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is enough for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Who loves being weak? No hands. None of us love weakness, but it's precisely when we are weakest that we experience his enabling power to get the job done. So you apply that. That's my alarm saying, time up. Sorry. (laughs) Invariably when I preach, particularly in Kingston, some brother or sister phones me deliberately. Uh, I knew I wasn't in danger, but now the alarm's gone off. Um, Sorry, train of thought. Where was I? Remind me. The grace is sufficient. Yes, because it's only when we're weak that we experience the strength of God. Otherwise, we're just going at it our own strength. But we need Him. Now, that's a promise that His grace will be sufficient for you. You see, the thing is, little children don't come with a manual. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if they did sometimes? But there is, yeah, or a warranty. <laughs> The stalk flew away. I don't know. (laughs) But there is, I believe, and we believe that there is a grace on parenting. If God designed it such that children are raised by parents, then surely there is a grace to do it. Our job, if you can call it that, is to find the face of God in the moments of our parenting and in the long story of our parenting. When he is old, he'll not depart from it. That's what it says in the proverb. And like you... Uh, uh, like many of you, Amber and I are, are discovering many things on this parenting journey. And one of them is that God is faithful. So when you go home today, I hope you leave with more answers than questions. I hope that you go home, if you're a parent, uh, with just that little bit more God-fueled courage uh, to do it. 
And we hope particularly that nobody leaves here with a sense of condemnation or, or, or guilt, but you go home vastly aware of the grace of our good God that is sufficient for you and I all times, but particularly in our weakness. Amen. Amen. Over to you, Phil. Thanks, man. Great. Thank you, Nick. And it would be great just to respond. We have a little bit of time. So, Robin, could you come and, uh, and the band come and join us?